Pray with me, please. Father in heaven, indeed, we bring an offering to you. We offer you our lives, which you first gave us and which you ask us to give back in love, in service of others. Help us, Father, to love you by loving others. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Good morning. Happy Thanksgiving. Merry Christmas. We're kind of caught in between, right? It's Advent. What goes with Advent? It's like Happy Thanksgiving. It's Merry Christmas. It's Happy New Year's. Anybody? What, what goes with Advent? What's that? Awesome Advent. How's that? Eager Advent. Okay, you guys are kind of dead this morning. I could just go. Is tryptophan from the turkey yet? How many of you had leftover turkey for breakfast? Man. You know, you be nice to me. I've got uh, the Steelers playing tonight, and the name of their starting quarterback in Baltimore, the name of the Steelers starting quarterback tonight is Dennis Dixon. And his backup is Tyler Polko. Okay, although you'd probably, you Bronco fans, you'd probably trade me straight up Sims for Polko these days, right? So be nice to me. It's not going to be pretty. <laughs> well, awesome Advent, West Bulls. I don't know if that works, Brad. Eager Advent. All right, let's go on to something else. Hey, did you see our new angel this morning when you came in? How could you miss it, right? I'm I'm not sure if the angel is on that tree or if the tree is under the angel. That is a big angel. How many of you saw her this morning? Okay. Ever since I saw it earlier this week, I've been thinking about shepherds abiding in the fields, and I can't seem to get Hark the Herald Angels sing out of my head. I've been humming it all week long. But you know, I've always wondered, maybe you can help me. Let me ask you. Why does the herald angel always get to sing? Why not the Hubert Franklin or Andrew angels? Why don't they get to sing? Dennis Dixon. You don't ever wonder about things like that? If you do, then seminary may be for you. You get to wonder about things like that all day long. All right, please stand. You can manage that this morning. And let's... um, Let's stand and dedicate our time together to God this first Sunday of Advent by declaring back to Him what Jesus tells us we need to do to be the light, to be God's light as followers of Jesus. We'll do the Hebrew responsively and then together in English. If you want to be the light, if you want to be the light this Advent, this Christmas and beyond, then Shema, listen up. Because here's what God says to do to be God's light in a dark world. Please say these words after me. Shema Israel. Adonai Eloheinu. Adonai Echad. Ve'ahavta et Adonai Eloeka. Behol levavka. Uvahol nafshaka. Uvaho meodeka, veahafta reacha kamocha, 
Amen. You recognize that word in Hebrew, I'm sure. Together in English, please, let's hear it. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might, and love your neighbor as yourself. Amen. Please, you may be seated. For some time now, we have been looking at what it means to love God and love others. And just in time for Christmas and Advent, our focus shifts even more pointedly on what it means to love others. Last week, we learned that our great, big, amazing, powerful God humbles Himself, really, when He tells us that when we love others, we are in fact loving Him. God loves people so much that he asks us to take our love for him, which he deserves, but he loves other people, he loves people so much, he asks us to take our love for him and pour it out on them so that they too, like us, may know and experience the, God, the love of God through us. Remember, when Jesus says the second greatest commandment to love others is like the greatest command to love God, He is saying that the only thing we can do that will always, in all circumstances, every single time, be counted as loving God, the only thing, the only sure bet in loving God in all circumstances is to love others. The second is like it. And then we looked at what happens when two or more of God's commands collide. What happens if you're faced with a situation in life where you just can't keep two or more of God's commands at the same time. You remember the example of a donkey falling over on the Sabbath. God commands no work on the Sabbath, and he commands help your neighbor get his donkey back on his feet. And so what do you do when a donkey falls over on the Sabbath? You can't keep both commands in that instance at the same time. And how you answer that question depends on which of the two colliding commandments is greater. Because you always keep a greater command over a lesser command when two commands collide. So in the case of a donkey falling over on the Sabbath, if no work on the Sabbath is the greater command, you wait until that Sabbath is over before getting that donkey up again. But if helping your neighbor get his donkey up is the greater command, then Sabbath or no, you get that animal back on his feet right away. And Jesus weighs in on this very down-to-earth, everyday life debate about what happens when circumstances in life come up where two or more commands collide. And Jesus lays it out there that the greatest command is to love God and the second greatest command, which is like it, is to love others, which means that the command to love is always kept without exception, no matter what other command might sometimes collide with it. For those of you who play cards and know what it means to have a certain suit in cards as trump, right? Well, love is indeed the ultimate trump suit. Love always trumps any other competing interest in the kingdom of God. All right, we need to move on. We covered this more thoroughly last week. If it's still a bit 
confusing to you how that works with these greater and lesser commands and you missed last week, you can check out last week's message online. It's at westbowlschurch.com or catch me after service, ask me about it. I'll try to do a better job of explaining it to you. And what we're talking about this morning should also help clarify the impact and the effect of God giving such priority to the love others command. Please turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. Luke 10, if you brought your Bibles with you. If not, you'll see the words on the screen. And we get to take a look at, I've been waiting all week, in fact, all month when I knew that this was going to happen. We get to take a look at my personal favorite teaching of Jesus ever, the parable of the Good Samaritan. This teaching is so good we're going to break it into two parts this week and next. And as you know, Jesus is a remarkable teacher, best ever. I mean, oh man, is he. Whether or not a person believes in or even agrees with Jesus, you read what he teaches. Jesus can flat out teach. It's not even debatable. He is an awesome teacher. And I share the opinion of many that this parable in particular stands out as the best teaching, or the best of the best at least, from the best teacher ever. What Jesus does with this little story and how he answers the expert asking the questions, how well he knows his audience and time and place, it, it's absolutely breathtaking what our amazing teacher rabbi does. Your Bibles are open to Luke chapter 10. For good reason, the parable of the Good Samaritan is easily one of the most familiar Bible stories, and it begins this way at Luke 10, beginning at verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? 
The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This is the very word of God. Amen? Amen. Now in this parable, we have another great example of two commandments colliding. In this case, the colliding commandments are love your neighbor as yourself from Leviticus 19 verse 18. And don't go near or touch a dead body, which is referenced all over Torah, especially in the book of Numbers. And so in this parable that Jesus tells, a man is making his way down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he is mugged and left for dead. And while the guy is not completely dead, the NIV says he was half dead, and the Greek there is even stronger, it implies this guy is so badly hurt, he's about to die. His life's hanging there by a thread. He's going to die at any moment. He's that nearly dead. And so there this guy lies. I would imagine unconscious perhaps if he's half dead, probably looks dead, but there he is lying there in the road. And first down the road after the mugging comes a priest. And Jesus says when the priest saw him, he passed by on the other side. And probably everyone hearing Jesus that day say that laughed. It's one of the many passages where Jesus may have had a twinkle in his eye and might be using some humor in his teaching. And you say, what's so funny about a priest passing by on the other side? Well, if you've been along the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, you know why it's funny. Here's a picture of that road. This is where the story takes place. That arrow is pointing to the road. It is this tiny, narrow path hanging halfway down on the side of a cliff on one side of a deep ravine or a wadi. And so the nearly dead man is lying in the road. And the priest comes down the road and then takes a detour on the other side? What other side? Here's the other side. (laughs) you imagine what it would take to get to the other side of this road? Jesus is really emphasizing the strength of this man's conviction to avoid this nearly dead body. Probably took him all day to get to the other side of that road if he crossed the ravine. So probably a few chuckles at least were heard when Jesus said that. Jesus perhaps poking fun just a bit at how determined this priest was to avoid that guy lying in the road. He didn't just step over him. He did just step around. He passed by on the other side, I see Jesus saying. And people laughed. And what we have here, or who we have here in the person of the priest, is someone who had the command, don't go near or touch a dead body, as a greater command than love your neighbor as yourself. And the next guy coming down the road, a Levite, he does the same thing. He too avoids the nearly dead man and passes by on the other side. Ha 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 again. And no doubt, again, because to him the command don't touch was greater than the command to love. Now, you ever thought about the priest and the Levite that way? 
I mean, when I first heard this parable as a boy, I couldn't believe these two guys wouldn't help this man. How could anybody be so cold and heartless? You know, I, the, the picture I had of the priest and the Levite was, you know, any minute they're going to kick this guy and roll him down the cliff or something. And I don't know if the priest and the Levite were mean or struggled with kindness or whatever, maybe. But contextually, the reason they didn't help the man is probably because they believed they were obeying God by staying away. Because God did say, stay away from dead bodies. And even if he wasn't dead yet, he looked like he might die at any moment. And so neither the priest or the Levite were taking any chances. So it could be that these two guys were, were weeping as they walked past the man. Maybe they did empathize with him, but felt they were helpless to help. Because God had said, don't touch. And there didn't seem to be to them any nearly dead man lying in the road exception to the don't touch command. And so the priest and the Levite passed by because they believe don't touch is a greater command than love your neighbor. And then along comes the Samaritan. He comes last. And obviously, don't touch is a lesser command to helping this man laying nearly dead in the road to the Samaritan because he helps him. And what may be intentional in Jesus' story, or maybe it's a delightful coincidence, we'll ask Jesus one day, is that if you look at and count the verb clauses used to describe the Samaritan's help of this man, each verb, each verb clause seems to involve touching. And there are seven of them, go figure, one of God's special numbers. The Samaritan went to him, bandaged his wounds, poured oil on him, poured wine on him, put the man on his donkey, apparently his donkey hadn't fallen over, took him to an inn and took care of him seven times. Touch, 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 touch. What a clever way to emphasize in the parable just how much God was into touching even a dead body if loving others is at stake. Touch, 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 touch. The people there listening to Jesus may have grinned at that one too. Now, we'll save the rest of this parable, actually the heart of this parable for next week, but I want to pause with the rest of the time that we have here this morning to camp a bit on something that I think we need to hear in the church today. At this point, the lesson of the parable seems relatively simply to obey, doesn't it? I mean, I would imagine for all of us here this morning, I, I doubt very much whether anyone here would avoid helping this man because you'd be concerned with becoming unclean. You know, ritual purity is just not something in our day that's given much weight in most of our traditions, if it's given any weight at all. So let's make it a little more contemporary, contextual, challenging for us by, by thinking of some things that maybe for us are like don't touch a dead body and might sometimes collide today with love your neighbor as yourself. One way to do this 
is to see the challenge that the nearly dead man presents to the priest and the Levite as a challenge to one of their doctrines or beliefs. A doctrine is just that. It's a principle or belief we hold as true. That's doctrine. And so one doctrine of the priest and the Levite was don't touch a dead body. Not supposed to touch a dead body. And you know what? They were right. That's sound doctrine. God said in many places, don't touch a dead body. It was important enough to God to command his people to stay away from dead bodies. But where the priest and the Levite went wrong, however, was allowing that doctrine, don't touch a dead body, however important and true and sound and correct it was or is, their mistake was allowing the don't touch doctrine to be greater, a greater command than God's command to love others. In this case, helping someone who is nearly dead and dying. And so what about us? Do we sometimes let certain doctrine, what we believe is true, become greater than God's command to love? One area in the church or any Christian community where this unfortunately plays out far too often, is when we allow our opinion on certain theological or doctrinal issues to divide us. Division among brothers and sisters in Christ, disunity rather than unity, is certainly something the Bible clearly tells us is not love. Proverbs 6, for example, tells us there are six things the Lord hates. Seven are detestable to him. And then the passage lists those seven detestable things. Each of the seven things that God detests has to do in some fashion with relationships between people. Again, you see God's heart for loving people. So according to Proverbs 6, and it's not an exclusive list. There are other things in the Bible God hates. But the seven detestable things that God hates listed in Proverbs 6, haughty eyes, pride, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. God hates a heart that devises wicked schemes. He detests feet that are quick to rush into evil. He hates a false witness who pours out lies. And then this one, God detests a man who stirs up dissension among brothers. God finds these things detestable. He hates them. And so when we allow certain doctrinal issues to cause dissension and carve up the body of Christ, we have in effect placed those doctrines above the command to love our neighbor as ourselves. Because God hates dissension and division among believers. It's not a way to love others. Now, I'm singling out certain doctrinal issues here. I'm focusing on those beliefs that are non-essential to salvation in Jesus Christ. Not unimportant, but non-essential. I'll talk about the essential ones in a minute. But you will find on our website what we as a local church believe are the essentials of our belief as Christians at West Bowles. We call it our statement of faith. Those are things we consider essential. Everything else is non-essential. Not unimportant, 
but non-essential. And it's those non-essentials that while they are important, we need to especially guard against non-essentials dividing us. We can and should, as a body of believers, agree to disagree over non-essentials and agree to disagree over them agreeably. And yet, in my experience, and I know in many of your experiences too, I'm sure, many a divisive battle within Christian community occurs over these non-essentials. And when that happens, we have, in my opinion, created new second commandments that wedge themselves up in between love God and love others. When we Christians divide over non-essential doctrine, we push love your neighbor to a lesser commandment status because division is something God hates. And we are no better than the priest or the Levite who pushed love others to a lesser commandment than don't touch a dead body and passed by. So I made a list this morning. A list of non-essentials to the faith that I've seen in the time I've been alive divide Christian fellowship. See how much they match with your lists. Again, I have little doubt many of you have experienced the delightful, divisive power of disagreeing over non-essential doctrine, I'm sure. So here's my list. We'll start with one that's not at all controversial. Women in church leadership. See, and immediately, immediately there's a little bit of tension in the room. Nervous laughter, maybe. Because most of us have pretty strong opinions on this one. Now, we're going to save a more in-depth discussion of this exact issue for a later date. It's on my list of sermons to preach when I'm about to retire. (laughs) But for this morning, let me just say for the record, hey, this issue is not an essential to our salvation and essential to our faith in Jesus Christ. It's important, maybe very important, but it's not an essential. And what you will find, or what you have found, if you have looked into or have participated in this debate, you will find amazingly gifted, graceful, loving brothers and sisters in Christ who love God and love others and believe the Bible is true. You will find these brothers and sisters, on both sides of this issue. And the question is, well, then what? Well, I'll share with you what not this morning. What not is division and disunity on this or any other non-essential. That's what's not. Because if we let this or any non-essential divide us, we have, in my opinion, placed it above the love your neighbor as yourself command because God hates dissension and division. And nothing gets between the love God and love others command. Just ask Jesus. 
And just like Jesus says, don't, to those Sabbath and ritual purity Pharisees we talked about last week, or to the priest and Levite in our parable this morning, God says, don't, to us, putting any non-essential doctrine over love others, that is, over dividing Christian fellowship and community. God values love of others, Christian unity, despite diversity on non-essentials. God values such love of others right alongside our love of God himself. And by the way, both sides or all sides on this debate or on any non-essential must hear this. Any side loving others will be more concerned with loving those holding a different opinion than with making sure everyone gets on board with what their opinion is on the issue. In fact, on non-essentials, we should be overwhelmed with love and empathy and grace for those who see it another way based on their interpretation of Scripture and God-given experience of it in action in life. You know, I wonder what would happen if we all approached non-essentials with an attitude of humility and grace toward other brothers and sisters in Christ. A lot less division, I'll tell you that. And more unity. Hey, more loving others as ourselves, which seems to be a pretty good idea in light of God's first and second greatest commandments. Other non-essentials that are divisive in my experience, how about yours? Eschatological opinions end times and the details especially of how it's all going to shake out. Or how about this one? Believer's baptism versus infant baptism. Ooh. Hey, so long as everyone agrees the water itself isn't saving anyone, this is a non-essential. But it can be very divisive. I once had someone tell me, Infant baptism is heretical. Wow. And please. One practice puts the water at a time honoring God for his faithfulness and for his sovereign role as the author of our faith. And the other puts the water at the informed conscious choice of Jesus as personal Lord and Savior. Neither are heretical. It's a difference of opinion on a non-essential. So let's move on to loving God and loving others, shall we? Ooh, here's a good one. Creation. Are you an old earth or a young earth person? Were those creation days literal 24-hour days or are those days figurative? Man, have you got a fight on your hands sometimes with that question? And while the passion that comes from our desire to follow God's Word is admirable and needed, the fact of the matter is we just don't know for sure whether those days were literal or figurative. We don't. And either interpretation is biblical. Because we don't know. could be either. So why divide over it? Did Adam or Eve have belly buttons? Where did Cain's wife come from? 
I don't know. But let's not divide over these. Now, I don't know of anyone who's divided over those. But it wouldn't surprise me because we could be divisive over a host of ridiculous things. Take our new angel, Harold, outside. I just know. I know. There's like, I don't know what there's, there's like this non-angel on a Christmas tree camp that's kind of out there in Christian community. Have you ever run into that? I know there's some in here who, for whatever reason, don't like an angel on top of a Christmas tree. I, you know, maybe they had a scary angel experience as a child. It's like they worry, oh, they're going to think we're about angel worship. I, I, I don't know. But, what, but, you know, and as you know, as silly as it sounds, something like Harold the angel on a church Christmas tree can cause very hurtful division within Christian community if we don't watch out. Christians sometimes allow the smallest offenses to blind them to that precious yet fragile unity that we have in Christ's body, don't we? Now, I need to add this piece. Please hear me and don't get me wrong. Doctrine is important, even crucial. And you know what? It's true that telling people about what we believe is very important. Essentials and non-essentials. As the Apostle Peter says, we need to be ready, we need to be able to give the reason for the hope that is in us. We need to be able to articulate not only what we believe, but why we believe it. Including in foundational part, It's what God tells us in His Word, the Bible. And we need to be able to explain why the Bible is a reliable source. The most reliable of any historical source by far, by the way. Our culture values reason. And God loves reason too. He created it. And it just so happens that Christianity wins the reason battle. Christianity is the most reasonable explanation of life that you'll find anywhere out there ever. And it's unfortunate, even a disservice to our God, to our witness, when we cannot tell people what we believe, why we believe it, and why the Bible is in fact the most reliable source of truth. So I, I am not bashing doctrine here today. Okay, Go doctrine! But please, or and please, my brothers and sisters, each one of us needs to be humbly on our guard for the risk that non-essential doctrine, at least, shoulders past love your neighbor on that greater to lesser commandment list. We need to be on our guard that it doesn't cause Christians to divide. Otherwise, before we know it, we'll start passing by on the other side when all we should be doing is loving someone. And you know, when you think about it, given all the opinions out there on all the non-essential doctrine lists out there, can any one of us or any one denomination or group of Christians claim, you know, that our non-essential doctrines are perfect and flawless? Anyone who does that, 
Those who make such claims, they're a bit arrogant by definition, don't you think? So two thoughts in closing this morning. First, there are times when a strong word is necessary. There is such a thing as tough love. Parents, you know what I'm talking about when we have to discipline our children. Love doesn't mean just anything goes. Whether it's with our kids or with brothers and sisters in Christ or whether it's someone who doesn't even know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. There are times when a strong word or action is indeed the loving thing to say or do. Perhaps the occasion for a strong word shows up most often when it comes to essential doctrine. If someone, you know, wants to agree to disagree whether or not there's a God or whether or not Jesus is the way to salvation or the like, But even then, even when a strong word or action is justified or even necessary, even when we have to divide over essential truth, be careful. And even then, be loving. Be as sure as you can that it's a loving thing you're doing before you barrel out there and risk a strong word or action that may burn the relationship. Again, there are times it needs to be done. There are times for tough love. But before we do that, man, let's pray over it unceasingly. Let's seek the advice and wisdom and counsel of others in community. Pray for the Holy Spirit to inspire, lead, direct, and counsel. Be humble and gracious and make those strong words and actions, no matter how right they might be, a last resort of sorts. That's one thing about being God's light. When we take that step of removing ourselves from someone in darkness, well, if we're light and we remove the light, we leave them in the dark. So be careful of that tough love step when you take it. Second, when we as believers are able, so help us God, to hang together despite our differences over non-essentials, wow, does that strengthen Christian community. We can learn from each other, my friends. At least those of us who don't have a corner on all truth. I have my opinions on each non-essential doctrine, as do each of you. In a community where different opinions are there, well, it forces us into the Word. It forces us to look to God and His indwelling Spirit for the answer. It gives us an opportunity to be gracious to each other. After all, it's a non-essential, and if it's a non-essential, maybe what we need to do in love is let it go. And God may have us in each other's lives if we disagree, Because one or both of us need to learn something more. And not only does it strengthen our community, but it strengthens our witness to others when we love each other and hang together despite our differences. You know that's what the world is hungry for, don't you? And instead, divisions in the church that have occurred for centuries and still today over non-essential doctrine 
I grew up in a denomination that actually split because they couldn't agree whether you could go to movies or play cards. So they divided. Divisions in the church that have occurred for centuries and still today over non-essential doctrine, it's one of the most damaging witnesses to who God is and who he is all about with his deep desire for a unified family of believers. Diverse on non-essentials, perhaps, but unified in Christ. Our diversity on non-essentials also allows us to help people with different backgrounds and needs. You know, if we're diverse in here, then we can create, we can uh, reach a greater diversity of people that come in looking for help. I'm always, in, I, I'm always encouraged, so I pass this on to you. I'm always encouraged by the challenge of unity and diversity when I think of Jesus and his disciples. He had at least two zealots, Judas Iscariot and Simon the Zealot. And he also had a tax collector, Matthew. And he had at least one other disciple, Peter, who struggled with ritual purity getting in the way of loving others. <laughs> The zealots, they had no idolatry as their second greatest commandment, and they didn't hesitate to kill their neighbors who they felt were feeding the idolatry of Rome. I mean, they killed people like tax collectors for being traitors in their eyes. It's, it's a miracle that Judas and Simon didn't lie in wait for Matthew coming down the road every day. They were taught as zealot to hate tax collectors with a passion. And Peter, even after everything, had just an awful time eating with Gentiles. And yet, Jesus came to each of them and said, I think you can be just like me. I think you can, I know you can, love others as yourself. Now, Judas didn't get it, but Simon the Zealot, Matthew, and Peter sure did. And if they managed unity despite their diversity, then so help us God, so can we. We spoke of being the light this Advent and Christmas. One way we can be a light to each other and to the world. One way that we can love God by loving others is keeping non-essential doctrine from getting in the way of love. And when we need to divide over essential truth, doing so in a loving and gracious, if at all possible, way. Anything less. Well, it's like passing by on the other side when someone is lying there hurt and bleeding and dying and needing our love. This week, it's our last chance to participate in the Red Envelope initiative. Woohoo! This Christmas. If you haven't yet put a dollar or more in a red envelope and handed it in, you will find someone in the lobby with a red envelope. They can tell you more about it if you've missed the last two weeks where we introduced it. Hey, it's a great opportunity to be the light, to love others this Christmas. We can keep collecting your red envelopes through Friday this week, but get yours in today if at all possible. And then next week, like Brad said, I will finally let you know exactly what happens with your gift. Because if you haven't heard, 
We're not telling you. And I think it's a pretty good staff-kept secret. I'm very proud of the staff. Not many of you know, I don't think. I don't think. If you know, probably everybody knows. You're just not telling me, right? Well, continue to humor me because I think it's cool you don't know. And we'll let you know uh, December 6th, next week already, what it is God has in store for us to do with your red envelope gifts. Love God, love others, and especially this Advent as we anticipate the light, let's be the light. Shall we? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your amazing word and all of its commands. And thank you for your son Jesus who came and revealed to us that all of Scripture, every one of those commands, everything Genesis Revelation points to, reveals how it is that we should love you and love others. Help us, Father, this Christmas season. Help our hearts to turn toward others. Loving them, helping them, being gracious and humble so that the world might know, God, of you and know you, a God who is love and sent his son Jesus to us because you love us. We love you, and in Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Would you stand, please? Let me give you God's good words, God's good benediction for today, his blessing. And you recognize it from Shema, of course. We've been doing that this whole series. Hear God's good words to you as you go on your way. Hear, O Israel, hear, O West Bowles Community Church, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And love your neighbor as yourself. In the name of Jesus, all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Awesome Advent, eager Advent, Merry Christmas. We'll see you next week.